0: You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us?
1: Hello, hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number eight and we are recording on April 14th. I'm Mara Wilson and I am joined by my co-host and producer, Carla Clifton. Hi Carla, how are you today?
0: I tell you what, I'm doing so good. It is so beautiful out today. The weather is about in the mid 70s. It is gorgeous, sun shining, and we got our two little baby chickens in to go along with our other little chickens. So I've just got all kinds of little chickens and I'm watching all the beautiful chickens out there just uh in their little box growing like little wild
1: little weeds. Did you get those for Easter?
0: Actually, we got them um, before Easter, and it wasn't like for Easter, but this is just the time of year to get them. And we're wanting to raise chickens for eggs and stuff, so I'm just a country girl. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) My neighbors have chickens, so hey. I love them. They're just so soothing to watch. But anyway, hello, everybody. Each myth-behaving show features a special guest from the literary world. It could be a writer, publisher, agent, editor, or anyone else connected with the publishing world.
1: And we have several special segments that are related to reading or writing, but usually writing tips. Shh. Be very quiet when hunting books in the library of a myth-behavior. And that means it's time for something from the Library of a Myth Behavior, which, of course, is me. Uh, today, I'm recommending Force of Habit uh, by Alice Loisi. It is a mystery with a twist. Our heroine, Julia, is an ex-nun who goes to work for a private detective. And this is actually the first of the three books in the Falcone and Driscoll investigation series and I'll have Alice correct me if I pronounced, uh, that, that name incorrectly. Uh, but I loved Julia. She's so different from all of the other heroines out there. She's conflicted, but she's charming and smart. She's naive and socially awkward, but she's so warm and so generous. And it's just, it's, it, it's intriguing to watch her or to read about her as she's Coping with life outside the convent, and then on top of that, trying to solve a, a, a tricky case.
0: Well, as you all know, that must mean our special guest today is Alice Luisi. Welcome to the show, Alice, and thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad to be here.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: We're thrilled to have you chat with us. It's especially for me because. Uh, you were one of the first authors to bring me into the fold, so to speak, over at Absolute Right, which uh, if you guys don't know about it, it is a fabulous resource for writers, and you can find it at absoluteright.com. There's thousands of writers that share their expertise, and Alice is one of them. She helped me with my query letter, which is Anybody who's tried to write one of those knows just how awful they are to write. I think mine went through like eighty incarnations and Alice finally took pity on me and said, Okay, here <laughs> and helped me with that. And I'm gonna always be grateful for that. She also helped me with my bio too. So she's she's been just an integral part of my writing career over the last year and a half, two years, whatever it's been, and I'm I'm grateful to her. But Alice today is about you. And we know that there's three novels in the series. It's loads of fun to read. Julia is engaging because she's so at odds with the world. And, and she's come into the outside world from the convent. But what makes this series special is that Alice is also an ex-nun. And I think that gives Julia a lot more validity, more depth. It gives her a ring of believability. Alice, tell our listeners how you got from the convent. To being a mystery author.
2: Well, it took a few years. You know, once one leaves the convent, one has to learn how to be a regular person again. I always say that I'm very glad there was no YouTube when I left the convent because watching me try to put on a pair of high heels again after four years would have been gone viral in a heartbeat. Um, I have been writing since age nine but it wasn't until 2005 that I decided to up my game and aim at professional book publication. My first book, which is now deservedly trunked, was a religious horror, you know, write what you know. Force of Habit was the second book I wrote, but the first one to be published. Awesome. And it's a fabulous book. Thank you. Of Truth and
0: misery. Okay, of Truth and Myth 3 is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Alice, feel free to answer this one. The query letter doesn't really matter as long as your book is awesome.
2: Well, the best book in the world would have trouble grabbing an agent or a publisher's attention with a clunky query letter. What if a query letter for Dickens' A Christmas Carol had begun, a miser is forced to learn about his depressing, lonely life? Bah! But if it had begun, Ebenezer Scrooge is about to get his miserly face shoved into his past, literally, you might want to take a look at the second book. My first query letter was written like a direct mail solicitation letter because that's what I was doing for a living at the time. It was embarrassing. (laughs) I
1: want to hear that one now.
2: (laughs) It's it's long vanished. It was, yes, very long vanished. Thank God. Yeah. And, and query letters
1: to to add to that. It really does not And I love those examples that you gave for, for Dickens, a Christmas Carol. That was, that was inspired there, Alice. And it's very true. Trying to, trying to get that attention is so critical. and, I don't think people realize just how many many query letters these agents and publishers get a day.
2: They get they get dozens. Some of the best, some of the more popular agents get hundreds a week. And in essence, you have about thirty seconds to catch the attention of an agent or a publisher. That's why those first few lines just have to be killer. Yeah, they do.
0: That has got to be a hard job, though, to to really sum up your book. In just a couple of lines. Well, I mean, it's you it was you, awful. You, you, you wrote an entire book. It took you hundreds of pages to say your story, and you have to sum it up in just a few lines. That has got to be a horrible task.
2: It's awful, and it really is a learned skill. You don't just say, yep, here's my query. You have to learn how it's done, how it's not done. And my queries went through so many different versions before. It was like, wait, this one works. This one captures it and captures the interest. It just takes time, and it's frustrating.
0: Well, it must be, you know, the art of being a writer to be able to
2: do that, because I don't
0: know that even after I read a book, I could sum it up enough to sell it in a couple of lines, you know that's that's it's a tough task.
1: Well, that's why some of these. I'm I'm I was not exaggerating when I said my query letter went through about eighty incarnations. Oh, I bet. And 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 Alice really did. She just finally took pity on me <laughs> and said, "Here."
2: Well, I guess and
1: she wrote, Honestly, She rewrote it.
2: When I was over it, when I first joined Absolute Right, I got so much help with my query letters, and I was like, wow, I was doing everything wrong. Thank you very much. So I try to say, take the new ones into the fold and say, look, okay, you're doing everything wrong, but so did I, and now I'll help you fix it.
0: Well, that's what you call paying it forward.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yep.
2: she, she, she believes in that.
1: And and I have gone back and uh, periodically go in and, and help somebody or make a comment and uh it's always nice when i get those those private emails that say would you take a look at this privately and and that's just i i sit there and think if only you knew how bad i am you wouldn't ask me this but i'll do what i can to help so um but alice is actually very good at it so uh, i was lucky i'm not so sure the ones i've helped have been so lucky but but i was very lucky to have alice
2: well, thank you. I'm just the old, experienced broad here.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're not going to talk about age. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what prompted you to write mysteries and to write mysteries about an ex-nun? Were there influences that were... Uh, obvious, uh, other than the obvious connection with your own background, but with their influences that just jumped right out at you and said, "Oh yeah, this is what I've got to be doing." Where you you wrote the one that you said you trunked, but how did you get to this one? How did you get to this series?
2: Well, there was on absolute right again. There used to be a thing where an agent would volunteer their time for a few weeks, you know, giving advice and saying, "Sure, I'll look at your query," and a then well-known agent who has since moved out of the agenting biz said, hey, you know, I'll take your query. So I sent him the religious horror, and he passed on it. And then he sent me a follow-up email like five minutes later saying, you know, that wasn't my style, but what I'd really like to read is a book about a crime fighting ex-nun, because part of my query letter said that, yes, I'm an ex-nun. That's why I know this stuff. And I just, you know, closed his email. and thought, yeah, right, I write horror, thanks. Anyways, but it percolated in my brain for Three or four months until finally I had this ex-nun character and who was getting into trouble. And about eight months later, I had the finished book. And I would have never thought of writing mysteries at all without that. Hey, why don't you try this? Because it was firmly in my head that I was a horror writer. So when I finished the book, I sent him the first three chapters saying, hey, you were the one that gave me this idea. What do you think? And he passed. It was very funny. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, he, but he liked, he likes very gritty, realistic fiction. And I, I would never write, I write lighthearted beach reads. So we would have never come together. But that is how I started writing mysteries. And it was just a one little line in an email. Isn't that interesting
1: how, how you get to, to where you are from, from where you start? And I, I love finding that out about the, the writers that we get to interview of, of w- what got them there. I love those stories. And that's a great story that you have, especially the fact that he eventually passed. But, yeah. but um, it was awesome that you did
2: that because you've got a fabulous series. Well, and my, my wonderful and marvelous agent loved Force of Habit when I queried him. And I had researched, of course, to make sure, you know, he had sales in my genre and it was, you know, legit stuff. And he called me the next day asking for the full manuscript and offered representation four days later after he read it. Wow. So he loved he loved Julia and then sold her pretty quickly.
1: And she's easy to love. She is so interesting and there's so much depth to her. Thank you. It's a great series.
0: It's time for Myth Print Tips and Tricks of the Industry. Okay, it's time for another one of our special segments. Myth Print includes a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the industry. Alice, do you happen to have any tips about writing mysteries that you can share with our listeners?
2: Plan ahead. That is my biggest tip. I try to write so the reader solves the mystery along with Julia that will only work for me if i know who's the bad guy and details of how he or she is messing with julia's head when i know those details and have them mapped out then i can drop hints or plan some misdirection just at the right places to frustrate or encourage julia and the reader that's a great tip that's a great
1: tip i don't write my mysteries are are kind of not mysteries so i okay i, I don't know if i it, it's more fantasy. I mean, the emphasis is on fantasy, even though you're you're trying to find out what's going on. My pe- my characters aren't doing it like yours. Yours actually have to work for it. Yours is a real mystery. They have to work for it. They have to find the clues and work for it. Whereas, you know, I've got magic involved, which kind of is cheating. Not in your world. It's not cheating. <laughs> in
2: my world, it would totally be cheating.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I, that's why I don't consider mine to be to be mysteries even though they've got the elements of mystery in them. But that's a great tip, Alice. That's an awesome tip. Writing is such a process of so very very many things. What do you love most about what you do?
2: I love the research. I am a total research geek. Uh, you can start me on a new story, and I will spend days wandering the internet learning about jobs or hobbies or odd things. Or for a, for a current book I'm researching, I had to learn about rune magic, and then other things. For for back in the habit, my second book, I had to learn about how to how a pagan would smudge a room, say for the new year, to cleanse the spirits, because that's not my religion, and I don't know it. I love research. Yeah, yeah, we've had
1: several authors on, and and I love research too. So it's, but I like history, so I think that just kind of goes along with it. But um, and I, one thing I want to mention too is I love all the the titles of, of the books in the series. You know, you, you've got Force of Habit, Back in the Habit, and Veiled Threat. Those all tie in to her being a nun, of course. But very clever titles on those two. I had to tell you that.
2: I was happy. Force of Habit was my original title for the book, and I was very happy that my publisher let me keep it, and then I just sent them lists of titles for the next two books, and they picked the one they liked best, and I was fine with that because they all fed into the habit pun. Yeah, yeah, I like that.
0: Well, you have three books out. You are an established author, and I am guessing that you probably have your writing routines established. Is there anything about the whole writing process that you don't like?
2: Trying to find large blocks of time to write. I work full-time, and I have a teenager still at home. My days are busy from very early till very late. When my kids were younger, I learned to make use of those 15 to 30 minute blocks of time when, you know, I'm waiting at soccer practice or doing something else. But those, those little blocks are better for editing or plotting. My most useful creative binges happen in 45 minute stretches or longer usually. So it can be a challenge to find those long blocks.
0: I bet authors work in so many different ways. Are you a planner that outlines everything, making extensive notes, or are you what we call a pantser, flying by the seat of your pants and letting the book go where it will?
2: Well, I wrote my first book as a pantser. But when I realized that I was going to, needed to create a believable mystery, I knew I'd have to plant clues and remember what happens when. That wasn't going to happen without help. So I learned how to outline. There's an outline method called the Snowflake Method by Randy Ingramanson. And I went to a writer's conference where one of the perks was his full method of how to do it. And what I liked most about it was you could, Use only the parts that you want to use and ditch the rest. And that was how I learned how to outline. Now, some writers prefer not to outline because they say it spoils the fun of finding out what happens at the end. That never happens for me that way because my outlines change at least three or four times in the course of writing because the characters do things I don't expect. So I end up with three or four or five outlines with arrows and notes and blocks and things. So I'm always surprised, outline or not. That's amazing. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. Alice, I've already read your series and loved it, but could you tell us what's your next project? What do you have lined up next?
2: Well, I have a few projects happening right now. My agent is looking over my latest edits to a dystopian young adult book in which I gleefully trash the entire city of Niagara Falls and turn it into a giant kitschy snow globe full of haunted houses and other things. Um, I'm also currently writing A Steamy Paranormal, and I've outlined a whole new mystery series called The Girl in the Steampunk Hat, which came out of something that happened at the BoucherCon Writers' Conference last October. So I've got lots of irons in the fire, and I'm trying to manipulate them all. Yes. That sounds fun.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you've just got this whole array of, of talent uh, being able to go from one genre to another, because it sounds like... Wow you've got a lot going on
2: I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into any one genre and I really am a horror writer at heart I just want to sell some horror but right now i'm i really into dystopian and i I'm, I'm loving all the research I had to do for the paranormal and things so yeah it sounds yeah. fun. and and the steampunk are are uh, the picture are you
1: gonna send us your picture that's got your little steampunk cat
2: um yes Is that the I picture am picture I have Yes it is.
1: I want to put that up there because that's so cute. She's got the most darling little steampunk hat picture with this little darling steampunk hat. So um
2: I've got three I hope, of them now. I am. I've got three of them now, so I just I like to just switch them off. They are so much. Fun. That's cool. Yeah, they're cute. They're cute.
0: I can't wait to see it. Well, We have seen a lot of changes in the industry in the last couple of years. Do you feel that the changes have impacted your own work? And if so, in what ways? And how do you feel about those changes?
2: You know, I'm good with change. Everything evolves. Right now, my career is focused on getting commercial publishing deals but those kind of deals now are mass market or hardcover or trade paper or electronic only. Um, in whatever way a book deal happens, I'm good with that. I'm fortunate to have a terrific agent who negotiates the best type of deal for whatever book of mine he's selling. And, of course, what, in whatever format people want to buy my books is just fine with me. Yeah, as
0: long as they buy.
2: <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing I really like is I started querying when everything was you wrote a letter and put a stamp on it and mailed it out. I like electronic querying. It happens faster. You move on. You have more ways to research. I really like how that works. That's awesome.
1: The myth number is... And that means it's time for Myth Nomer, our word of the day. And in keeping with our theme, today's word is mystery. Alice, you, you told us a tip already, and we touched on it a little bit. But do you have anything else to add about writing mysteries and and how you figure out where to plant
2: your clues or or things like that? Always get expert advice. I mean, I read a lot, but reading only goes so far. One of my beta readers for Force of Habit told me that modern PIs do covert surveillance with video, period. I had no idea. I rewrote three chapters because of that. I also had to learn about warrants and drugs and hospital procedures after violent crimes. I work with nurses, so I asked them about hospital things. I also went to a shooting range and took a gun lesson with a Glock because that is the gun that many current PIs use. I had never handled any kind of gun before, and it was an experience. I, I puzzled the poor man who owns the shooting range because he looked at me and showed me this cute little tiny feminine gun, and I had to explain to him that I needed a real gun, quote-unquote, because of <laughs> my research. But because of that, I know what a gun fired at close range sounds and one policewoman thanked me because my characters reacted correctly to that, meaning it, it disturbs your hearing. And she vented for a while about how on TV and in movies people get a gun fired right next to their head and they're just carrying on a normal conversation right away.
1: Yeah, which anybody who's fired a real gun knows there's just no way. Even when you've got the, the, the really heavy-duty headphones on to protect your ears, those yeah. guns are loud. Very. Yes, they are.
0: Well, now we get to come to the fun part. If you could have a dinner party with any seven people, living, dead, or fictional, who would you include, Alice?
2: Now, this was fun. I researched this for a little bit. Then I have to explain some names. John Donne, the poet. King Arthur. Now, we could get into a long discussion on whether or not he's fictional. Merlin. The wife of Bath, who is a character in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, she was married five times, she owned property, she didn't take any lip from anybody. She was awesome. And this was back in the, god, 1300s. Um, Gabriel Iglesias, he is a current comedian whose, um, shtick is he's not fat, he's fluffy, cause he's a large comedian, he can, he is the funniest thing on the planet. That very brave young woman whose name I will now mispronounce, Malala Yousafzai, the one who the Taliban shot in the head because she was going to school. Um, And Sister Joan Chittister, who is a nun who bucks authority all the time trying to get a good deal for nuns and for the poor and all those disenfranchised people. I would like to get all those people in a room because they're all brave. They've all pushed the boundaries, real and fictional. And some of them are very funny. I think it would be a wonderful few hours. It sounds it. sounds
0: like an amazing party. I mean, amazing. I mean, you have them from different eras. You have them from whether they're real or fictional. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like it's so much fun. I wish I could make
2: it happen.
1: No kidding? I wish you could make it happen. (laughs) Alice, what question do you never get asked in interviews? And I know you do a lot of interviews that you
2: wish someone would ask you, and what would your answer be? Okay, sit down. I wish someone would ask me about the differences in the portrayals of Dracula in the Universal films and the Hammer films and the later versions, and why some portrayals are superior to others, including accuracy and deliberate omissions and the use of comedy and the addition or deletion of the sexual element. That's what led to the cult classic TV series Forever Night and the brilliant opposing characterization of the protagonist and antagonist played by Geraint Wynne Davies and Nigel Bennett. You can see why no one asks me this, because the answer would take... The answer would take an hour and would end in a fistfight over the true superiority of Christopher Lee as Dracula in all the Hammer films, despite the fact that in Dracula 2000, Gerard Butler was the image of hot. And you have Darren Wynne Davies' wonderful angst and forever Night. Nice. In my fondest dreams, I want to create a character like Dracula that would just last for decades and be, you know, pastiched and turned into comedy and turned into seriousness and changed so many ways, but it's still Dracula. That is my real writing dream. That sounds like so much. That's probably one of the most
1: fun answers I've heard to that question so far. Amazing.
0: Amazing. And you're right. It would take an hour (laughs) to sit down (laughs) for all of that. That is amazing. Goodness gracious. Well, everyone has their own personal myths, things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true, their own personal myth behaviors, if you will. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true?
2: Oh, this one was easy. Julia, my main character is not me. She is much more stuffy and uptight and sweet. I mean, she followed the rules for her 10 years in the convent. She was the perfect nun, the one everybody modeled themselves after. When I was in the convent, I was in trouble every single day because I was always bending the rules. I once got disciplined for whistling in the hall. It was just, yeah, trust me, I was not that kind of nun.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I love that answer. What misbehavior do people believe about you, though? That is true. This should be fun. I'm waiting for this answer.
2: Now, it's, I really am a typical Italian mom. I can cook my grandmother's recipe without using any exact measurements. I can make Italian cheesecake, which is nothing like New York-style cheesecake, and you would never return to New York-style cheesecake again if you had it. And I play a mean game of bocce ball. I am the stereotype, I just don't have flower dresses with black aprons over them.
1: (laughs) I knew it was going to be a great answer. (laughs) Oh, but
0: we want the flower dresses. Come on. (laughs) Well, Alice, it has just been so much fun to have you as our guest. We so appreciate you being here. We appreciate you sharing your information with us. And we cannot wait for people to hear this. You are so fun.
2: Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun to do. And I, I really appreciate you taking the
1: time to be with us today. I, I, you've given us so much great information. And I want to say another personal thank you again for your, your support, just for, for Alice's support to Mayor and helping me get my own book published because you were, you're a fabulous cheerleader. And I wish you nothing but the best of luck for your own continued success because you're fabulous as a writer as well.
2: Thank you so much. Honestly, we all had to start out somewhere. If that's when you really need the most encouragement and the most solid advice, and that's what I try to do. And you did it. You did it very well because
1: you you got you got me on the road. So that's that's one little feather in your cap. And I know you've got a lot more of them sticking in that little little steampunk. And, and in there. my little <laughs> steampunk
2: hat. That's right.
0: Well, remember, everyone, you can go to mythbehaving dot com for more information about Alice Louise C. And links to her books. You can also read her bio, find links to her and find links to her social media.
1: And don't forget, you can load this ep- download this episode on iTunes, or you can listen right on the mythbehaving.com website.
0: Please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That's how we climb up the iTunes ladder,
1: and we'd love to hear from you. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes. So if you have if you want to do that just be sure to go to iTunes, click put us into the search myth behaving and it comes right up and just go ahead and click that little subscribe button.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving. We'll see you again next time. I'm Carla
1: and I'm Mare and we are Myth Behaving where reality meets fantasy. See you soon.